So here we go. Let's stand up and let's sing this together. You are holy, Prince of Peace. Okay, you re repeat after me. Repeat after me. You are holy. You are holy. Everybody. You are mighty. Everybody. You are mighty. You are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. I will follow. I will follow. I will listen. I will love you. I will love you all of my days. All right, here's the hard part. Guys, sing with me. You I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down before Him. I will sing. I will live my life for you. Okay, good. Let's try that again. The first part, you just repeat me. The second part with guys and girls. Here you go. You are holy. Come on, you sing. You are holy. You are mighty. You are mighty. You are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy of praise. Worthy I will follow. I will follow. I will listen. I will listen. I will love you. I will love you. All of my days. All of my days. Everybody. You I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and And I will live my life for you. Alright, let's see how good you've done it. Do an acapella. Here we go. I'm you are singing Lord to and worship the King who is worthy. I will bow down. Adore Him. I will bow down before Him. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love and adore Him. I will bow down. Sing it again. Here we go. Again. I will sing to and worship the King 
sound great. I will love him. You're the great I am. I will bow down before. One more time, here we go. I will sing to and worship the King who is worthy. I will love him. Be seated. Good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you have decided to join us in worship this morning, whether in person um, or online with us this morning. Um, if you are a guest with us this morning, um, feel free to fill out the guest card in the back of the pew in front of you, and we would love for you to turn that in. We have a gift for you. You can take it to the Welcome Center, which is just out the doors this way, and give it to a staff member, or you can put it in the box, and we would love to give you a gift. Um, next, because I am the preschool and children's minister, I'm going to do a trunk or treat plug. Um, so we are in need of candy to be donated, individually wrapped candy, and you can donate those around the church in our drop-off locations. There's one right out here um, in the entrance over there and downstairs as well, and sign-ups to host a trunk will be available soon. Um, next, let's pray and then continue in worship together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. Um, we pray that you open our hearts as we worship you this morning together, and we can just hear from your word and hear the message that you have for us, Father. I pray that your spirit moves in worship this morning and that we can um, continue to go out in our lives and just reach our area for you, Lord. It's in your heavenly name I pray. Amen. Will you stand and let's sing together. Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand and start to fall All those lonely roads that I've traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground 
When the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching In the healing and the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment of where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it, I couldn't see it. There was Jesus. For this man who needs amazing kind of grace, for forgiveness of a kind I couldn't pay. I'm not perfect, so I thank God every day. Well, there was Jesus. Come on. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting. Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment of where I've been. I couldn't see it. There was Jesus on the mountain, in the valleys. There was Jesus in the shadows of the alleys. There was Jesus. Oh, am I in the thank you for your forever kind of love you are forever with us and we praise you for it let's sing this together the moon and stars they wept the morning sun was dead, Savior of the world was falling. His body on the cross, His blood poured out for us, the weight of every curse upon Him.
One final breath he gave As heaven looked away The Son of God was laid in darkness A battle in the grave The war on death was waged The power of hell forever broken The ground began to shake The stone was rolled away His perfect love could not come before you this morning thanking you for your forgiveness. Thank you for loving us and taking care of us. And to that, Lord, we do sing hallelujah, hallelujah, praise Jehovah, praise God. And so, Lord, we sing it to you this morning. We sing it because of all the things that you have done in us, through us, and for us, Lord. We praise you. I pray now that you'll be with Dr. Cox as he comes and brings your message May you be glorified, and may, you, may your words uh, just anchor themselves to our hearts in such a way that it just creates a new creation in us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
Good morning. It's good to see you today. Great day to be in worship. Glad you're here. I want to invite you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We have a deacon ordination service. Be ordaining two men, Jeremy Jernigan and Richard Randolph. Would you come support these men? Come support our church. Special time. We're not usually here every Sunday night, so want to imprint that in your memory. So hopefully you'll remember and come tonight and be a part of that uh, worship service at 6 p.m. I'm sharing a series of sermons on the life of Abraham. And we're looking for the activity of God in Abraham's life so that we can understand how God is active in our lives. Well, today, we don't have to look very far because in the first verse of our text, in Genesis 22:1, it immediately tells us what God is doing in the life of Abraham. We begin in Genesis 22:1, and it says, Some time later, God tested Abraham. So there's God with an action verb. Here's what God does. God gives tests. I didn't like tests in school, did you? I don't like tests in life. But God, for our good, is a test-giving God. God tests us in order to reveal what is in our hearts, in order to confirm what our faith is, but he also gives us tests because they reinforce our faith and they strengthen us. James says, count it all joy when you encounter various kinds of tests, for you know they work perseverance in your life. So God might be testing you. We're going to see today that God was testing Abraham. And some of the things that you might go through in your life may be the testing of God to reveal, confirm, and strengthen and reinforce your faith. Before we look at this, let me just give you an overview here. I, I think God, there are in Scripture two ways that God tests. First of all, God may bring some hardship or allow some hardship or problems or trouble to come into your life in order to test and reinforce your faith. For example, read to you in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 about during the time of the exodus and the wilderness wandering for 40 years, God was bringing them into the desert, getting them ready for the promised land, and he, he, sometimes they didn't have enough food. Sometimes they couldn't find water. Why would God, who was leading them, why are there times when you're in God's will, but things aren't going great? It says in Deuteronomy 8.2, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. So, if you're going through some trouble, God may be allowing it to confirm and strengthen your faith. So that's one way he allows some trouble or hardships. Another way he tests is that he gives a command that might not seem logical to see if we'll obey him. An example of that's in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they'll follow my instructions. So God said, bread's going to fall from heaven. I'm going to feed you. Just get enough for today. Well, he did it that way, this verse says, to, sit, to test them and to see if they would obey. Because the logical thing would do, hey, there's a whole lot of bread here. I'm going to keep some for tomorrow. 
And some people did that, and the Bible says it was full of maggots, and it stank, and they had to throw it away. But God was testing them to see if they would obey a command that did not seem quite so logical. That's the kind of test we have here today in the story of Abraham. The test is said in verse, after verse 1, God, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here am I. He replied, here's the test, verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Wow. I mean, that's a shocker, isn't it? Uh, who could imagine such a command? And it becomes even more shocking because we know the backstory, right? We know that this was the child they had waited for for 25 years. We know that God had said, I will make you a great nation and your descendants will be like the stars of the sky, like the sands of the sea. And this was their only son. We know that God had promised at age 75 that they would have children. And they waited 24 years till they were, he was 99 years old. And God, remember, appeared to them and said, about this time next year, you're going to have a child. Sure enough, at age 100 for Abraham, 90 for Sarah, they gave birth to Isaac and named him Isaac. He laughed. We know that backstory. And now, this verse says sometime later, so we don't know exactly how old, we, from the details of the story, Isaac might be a teenager by now, certainly an older child, probably a teenager uh, because he's going to carry wood and so forth. Uh, so Abraham's like 110 to 120 years old now. And all of his hopes are riding on Isaac. And all God's promises are riding on Isaac. And God says to him, take him and offer him as a burnt offering. Wow, that's some test right there. What did Abraham do? Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He's ready to do what God said. That's an amazing thing. Abraham's grown a lot since we met him, right? Abraham has grown a lot. May it be so in our lives as well. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So from Beersheba, where he was, to the land of Moriah, where he told him to go, about 50 miles, about three days, good three days walk, third day. Can you imagine his thoughts? He didn't tell Isaac, didn't tell his servants what was going on. Three days he had his thoughts with him, trying to figure out what in the world God was doing. Verse 5, he said to his servants, when they got to the foot of the mountain, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, why did Abraham say, we'll go, and then we will come back to you? Was he just lying to cover up so that nobody would get too upset about this? No. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, let me read to you three verses there. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, 
offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, here's what was going on, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So Abraham said to the servant, we're going to go sacrifice and we're going to come back. Because Abraham said, God's told me to do this. i got to do what God has said. But God said it's through him. All I can figure is, I'm going to kill him. God's going to raise him from the dead. So, it says in verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, said to uh, Father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, replied Abraham, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! I get the idea that when God says your name twice in Scripture, it's really big. From the burning bush, God said, Moses, Moses! On the road to Damascus, God said, Saul, Saul! I think it's big when God says your name twice. Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham had had passed the test. His fear of God had been evidenced by his works. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And through this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So here we've got another name for God. We've been learning these new names for God in the Abraham story. We've seen that God revealed himself as El Elyon, God Most High. He's revealed himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's revealed himself as El Roi, the God who sees me. And now he is not a combination of El, the generic word God, but a combination of the specific word usually translated Lord, Jehovah, the old pronunciation, or Yahweh, the new one. This is Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Yira. You ever been to Jehovah Java? That's not in the Bible. That just means the Lord coffee, I guess. But Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, or Yahweh Yira means the Lord will provide. And, And Abraham named the place that, and this is the name. He is the God who provides when you're faithful in the tests. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I'll swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I'll surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore, and your descendants will take possession of the cities 
of their enemies. Here's, he's repeating and reaffirming the promises he'd made 25 years ago. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. There's the promise of Jesus latent in that command because it is through the descendant of Abraham, Jesus, that all of the world has been blessed. Because you have, here's the word to circle in this text if you mark in your Bible, because you've obeyed me. You've obeyed me. And his obedience is evidence of his faith. Well, it's a weird, wild story, right? And not everyone believes this story. In 1969, Southern Baptist uh, Sunday School Board, which is now renamed Lifeway, same organization, Baptist Sunday School Board in 1969 published a set of commentaries on the Bible called the Broadman Bible Commentary. We have them in our library. You can go see them. And the, the commentary on Genesis caused a stir because of the comment on this passage. G. Hinton Davies, a British Baptist, was selected to write the volume on Genesis. And he got to this story, and his comments on it were he couldn't believe that God commanded this. He said, Abraham just thought this up. Let me read to you his comments from the Broadman Bible commentary. Uh, the question, would God make such a demand? Our answer is no. Indeed, what Christian or humane conscience could regard such a command as coming from God? How then did this conviction arise in the mind of Abraham since we believe that God did not put it there? The question can only be answered in part. Abraham's conviction that his son must be sacrificed is the climax of the psychology of his life. The psychology of his life. So I think G. Hinton Davies was saying Abraham was crazy. He just thought this up. Couldn't have come from God. He made it up. So the following year at the Southern Baptist Convention, 1970, meeting in Denver, Southern Baptists voted overwhelmingly to withdraw that commentary and instruct the Sunday School Board to rewrite it because Southern Baptists were not going to have a commentary in their name that contradicted what the Bible says. So if you go in our library today and look at the Broadman Bible commentary, it's got 12 volumes, and under number one it says revised. You can see it on the spine there. It's, it's a different volume. They pulled that one, put it a new one because... We may not understand the Bible always, but we're going to submit to the Bible. We're not going to rewrite it simply because it's different than what we think. God's higher than we are. Now, God is not going to command you to sacrifice your children. You know, there are some people that hear voices and think God has told them to do things like this. Just two years ago, October of 2019, a man in Greenville, Tennessee, in East Tennessee, uh, his name, uh, let me get his name, was uh, Stanley Mossberg, killed a man in a laundromat in Greenville, was on the TBI Most Wanted list, fled to Florida, killed two more people there before they caught him. When they caught him, he said, God told me to kill these people. Same year, 2019, a man in Texas by the name of Cody Dixon killed his girlfriend and his nine-month-old daughter. And when police 
caught him and arrested him, he said, I heard voices, God told me to kill them. Now, how do I know? I've said to you, God's not going to tell people to do that. How do I know? I've said we're looking for the activity of God. God told Abraham to do this. We said that God is the same as he was before. Here's why I know that those people were not responding to the command of God, and God's not going to tell you to do that. Because later in Scripture, God said, Exodus 20, 13, when the law came, you shall not kill. And in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20, God specifically says, you're not to sacrifice your children as the nations around you do. And so God will never contradict his word. That was not yet revealed in the progressive revelation of of God in Abraham's time. Abraham, this was a live question. Well, the other nations are doing it. Maybe this is what God wants to do. But now we have the completed revelation of Scripture. After Abraham came the book of Exodus where God says, this is not my will. Leviticus, he said, you shall not do like the nations and sacrifice your children. This was a test of Abraham. It was a live issue for Abraham. Since then, God has said, that's not who I am. That's not what you're to do. So today, if you hear a voice telling you to kill somebody, that's not God. How do I know it's not God? Because God's voice in your head will never contradict God's voice in this book. This is authoritative for us, and so God's revealed in Scripture to us. So this event's not going to be repeated in your life, and those who hear those voices are psychotic. They're not coming from God. But I don't want to blunt this passage altogether because God still calls us to do some shocking things. God still tests people by asking us to surrender everything to him. He's not going to call you to to sacrifice, but God still tests by asking you to surrender everything. Can I share with you an Old Testament story that I think is like this? Once there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. Jesus named some of the Ten Commandments. Don't kill, don't steal, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I've done since a youth. And Jesus looked at him and said, then go sell everything you have, Luke 18, 22. Go sell everything you have. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Wow, that's pretty shocking. That's not killing your kids, but that's still pretty shocking, right? What is he doing? God is testing him. He doesn't call everybody to do that. But here he is testing this man's faith by calling him to surrender everything to him. There's an old song. It's not in your hymnal. It's way back in the 1955 Baptist hymnal. Is your all on the altar? And so God still calls on the altar of sacrifice that we lay everything down to him. Is your all on the altar? And God may call you. To surrender to him your career, your life, your kids to go to missions, whatever it may be. But God still tests by asking us to surrender everything to him. And we learn from this passage, the life of Abraham illustrates that saving faith always results in obedience. Now let me set this up for you here. Paul The Apostle Paul says we are saved by faith alone, right? Read that in Romans 3, Romans 4. James, if you've ever read the book of James, 
says we're justified by our works. And so people read those two things in the Bible and you think, well, the Bible contradicts itself. Because Paul in Romans says you're justified or saved by faith. And James says you're justified by your works. Well, the Bible must contradict itself. When you understand the story of Abraham, you'll understand that's not the case because both of these quote Abraham from two different, uh, the story of Abraham from two different places in Genesis. Paul, in saying that we're saved by faith, quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. You remember when he took him out on that starry night and said, uh, your descendants will be like the stars. And it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you believe God, it'll be credited to you as righteousness. You're saved by putting your faith in his son Jesus, right? James comes along and quotes this chapter, Genesis 22, and says you're saved by works. The point is that the, the works evidence the saving faith. The, the statement, you're saved by works, comes after that. So he's quoting the result of Abraham's saving faith. You're going to be saved by faith alone, but what that's going to result in, that's chapter 15, but what that's going to result in, chapter 22, is you're going to serve God, and if there's not obedience in your life, it's an indication that your faith is not real. Let me read it to you in James, chapter 2, James chapter 2, verse 21 and following. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Saving, you're saved by faith alone, but saving faith will never remain alone. Real faith always works. Real faith always produces obedience. And if there is not obedience to God in your life, then you really ought to examine if you're really saved because real saving faith always produces obedience. Are there areas in your life that God's speaking to you, that he's testing you? If that your faith is real, he's calling you to obedience. And some of his commands are difficult. And God brings you to difficult places in your life to test your obedience. Is God saying anything to you? Is there any area of your life where you are in disobedience to God? Let me tell you one more thing about this story, okay? It says that Abraham was to go to Mount Moriah. When we get in the Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, it tells Solomon that he's to build the temple on Mount Moriah. Moriah. This was the same place where later the city of Jerusalem would be. It is the place of the Temple Mount. It is the place where sacrifices were to be made. And the first of those was when God said, no, you don't sacrifice your son, but I'll allow an animal sacrifice to substitute. And in Exodus, it came along and gave us that sacrificial system. And it's on this mountain that the temple was built and the sacrifices were made. When God allowed the temple to be destroyed, 70 AD, Jesus predicted it, second temple was destroyed. Muslims took over in the centuries following. In 700 AD, they built the Dome of the Rock over this mountain. 
Non-Muslims cannot go in it now for the last 20 years or so, but I've been in the Dome of the Rock back when non-Muslims could go in there. And you go in, you take your shoes off, you go in, mosaic floor, but in the center of it is a, a rock. They've allowed the, the top of the mountain just to come up through the floor, and there's where they believe, Muslims believe, that this took place, that Abraham sacrificed Isaac. I don't know if they have the right rock or, or whatever. That's, that's what they say. But of more significance to us, this is the area. It's where the fortress of Antonio was. It's where Jesus was slashed in sentence. This is the mountain where the Son of God bore wood on his back, where Jesus carried his cross, and where Jesus was taken outside the camp to be crucified. And I just imagine, I can just sort of imagine the scene in heaven. You know, Jesus said, I, I could have called 10,000 angels to come and deliver me. And I can just imagine the scene in heaven as that Roman soldier pulled back the hammer to nail Jesus on the cross in this very vicinity of where Abraham had raised his knife. And I can just wonder if those angels didn't lean forward and grab the hilt of their swords and begin to pull them out thinking, okay, Here's where it comes. He is going to once again, at the last moment, rescue his son. Just as he rescued the only son, the one and only son of Abraham whom he loved. And I can just imagine those angels leaning forward, on go, ready to go to rescue him. And the command never came and the hammer fell. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God didn't spare his own son. And, and because of this passage, Paul would write in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And the wonder of the story of Jesus on this very place is that God didn't spare his own son. And the place Yahweh Yirah, the Lord will provide, reached the fullness of its meaning because on this place the Lord provided a lamb, his own son, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. The Lord provides for us. And he gave Jesus because there was no other way to cover my sin and yours than for him to be given. Praise be to God for his goodness to us. Would you put your faith in him? Let's bow together in prayer. Oh, Father, I pray that today there might be a person here who would see the wonder of your plan, the interconnectedness of your plan, that all through history you've been planning, culminating in Jesus. May people today put their faith in Jesus and say, yes, I accept you as being the sacrifice for my sin. Thank you, Lord, that you have provided a sacrifice. And then, Lord, I want to pray for those who are believers who might be going through some difficult times. 
Or God might be stirring in their heart some commands that seem big, even illogical, even sacrificial. And, oh, God, I pray that their faith will be evidenced with obedience. I pray that there, for those of us who say we're Christians but are living in disobedience, that we will see that real saving faith always obeys. May we repent right now. May we align our lives with your life. May our all be on the altar. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. If today God speaks to your heart and you want to come and confess him as Lord of your life and be baptized, you can walk forward while we're singing and meet me here. You can come if you want to join our church. You can come if you want to pray. This is just a time. Uh, you can talk further. If you want to talk further, I'll be at the Welcome Center. I invite you to come by there. But if you're ready to respond to God, this is a time to do that. Let's sing together. Waiting on my singer. Y'all can help me out. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me All of my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my hand Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God Of your voice all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God I love your voice have led me through the fire and the darkest night you were close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend and I have lived in the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God Because your goodness is running after me it's running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. My life laid down, I've surrendered now. I give you everything. Cause your 
Jesus is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you Goodness is running after, it's running after me. Sing it with us. Cause all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. In all my life you have been faithful. In all my life you have been so of the goodness of God. Oh, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. We want to thank you for coming and being a part of our gathering this morning. And just a few next steps for you as you leave this place. First is we invite you to stick around and be a part of a connection group. If you're new or you haven't joined a connection group yet, you can go by the Welcome Center. There are people there who would love to help you get connected to where you can be in a group that's in your age and stage of life. Also, if you're a guest and you have that guest card filled out, be sure to stop by the Welcome Center. There's a black box you can drop your card in or you can give it to Dr. Cox and introduce yourself. We have a small gift for you coming and being a part of our service this morning. And then finally, one more thing. As we talk about worship and we talk about giving and giving everything that we have, uh, that's a reminder to us that we are called to worship and serve through giving. And so there on the uh, back wall are two drop boxes, and you can put your tithes and offerings there in those boxes, and that's just our way during this time uh, to do that. So as we close out our service, let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we thank you for the message we've heard. And God, you are so good to us. And God, you did not spare your only son, but sacrificed him so that we could be your friends and we could be made right with you. God, we thank you for that message. We thank you for that truth. Father, now as we leave this place, will we hold that out for the world so they would see this good news, this gospel, and be connected to you as well. We ask this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Oh, my life, you have been faithful. And all my life, you have been so, so
of the goodness of God. Oh, I'm gonna sing of the goodness. 